have an opportunity to get into God's Word together this morning. If you haven't been with us for a while, we want to welcome you here. Uh, we've provided Bibles around you. If you don't have a Bible, either here or on your phone or wherever, however you use your Bible. And so I'd like you to open up to uh, the first chapter of John. And this morning we're starting a new series. I don't know about you, but yesterday was one of the most depressing days of my year. We took the Christmas decorations down. Oh, man. And I love our decorations. I, I love how Sue like, makes the whole house festive. And we, we have boxes of stuff, you know, we bring it out. And every year, I just want it to stay up all year, you know, because I really like the season. And I know the decorations have little to do or nothing to do with what really is the true meaning of Christmas, which is that Jesus came. And, um, but I still love it. And uh, the only encouragement, actually, the best encouragement I got yesterday was that I kept reminding myself, it's not the end. Because... Jesus' gift keeps on giving. I know this, that every day in this new year, he's got great things for me, and it's, his gift is one of those continual things that every day I discover in him. So I'm okay. I'll be okay with the decorations coming down. But still, you know, I was feeling it. <clears throat> and um, I don't know if you're like that at all, but I, I love the season. I love what it reminds me of, that as we talked about, that God and his richness gives just an overwhelming amount of gifts to us. And one of the gifts that we had not mentioned yet um, as we were walking through the season is this wonderful gift I want to draw your attention to this morning. And it's discovered in several places in Scripture. I'm going to read a couple of the verses that point us that direction in the book of Psalms. But here's the gift that we, that is you and I, individually, we're lovingly and intelligently created with purpose. I'm going to read a couple familiar psalms to you just to remind you of this great truth as we begin our new year together. The first one is in that wonderful psalm, Psalm 139, starting in verse 13. For you, that is God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am Fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. That I was not a random mutation without meaning or purpose in life. This is good news, right? That the Lord has imbued us with meaning and purpose because we are handcrafted by the God of heaven and earth. He made us, fashioned us, each individually. It was not a mistake. It was purposeful. And he vested us with great value because he paid attention. He knows you by name. He knows even what you looked like in your mother's womb. And he was involved in the process from the very beginning, your conception to this day. And that is a fantastic life-giving truth that this God, who many of us have this fantastic privilege of knowing personally and having a relationship with, this God, from the very beginning of our existence, has crafted us with purpose and meaning we are a product of his intelligent design, and that design is full of purpose. I need a rather, another psalm, Psalm 100. Let me turn there. 
It begins this way. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. That's what we were just doing, by the way. Hopefully it was joyful for you and you weren't listening to a neighbor who was fully off-key. Or if they were, you realized that this was a joyful noise and it didn't matter if they were off-key or not. They were simply celebrating the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. No, that is fully understand, comprehend this, that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. We belong to him. We're created, made to know him, to be in relationship with him. It is a purpose, a meaning that we have been blessed with. Now, scripture as we think about our purpose and wonder about it, it's really clear about what our purpose is. And the big picture purpose is that we are intended in our life purpose, according to God's word, to glorify God. Now, that might sound kind of churchy to you. What does that, what does that mean for a person actually to live a life that glorifies God? And does God need more glory? I mean, is, is that something he needs from me? So let me bring some clarity to that first off by saying this, that God is fully complete. It's not as if when the shepherds came running to the manger or when the magi appeared with their gifts, that Jesus needed that, that all of a sudden, oh, it was complete because he really needed their praise. Or when people would stop in the Gospels, when you see the stories of people declaring the glory and the praise of Jesus, that, that he needed that because he was somehow um, in need of people's praise because he was insecure or didn't have enough of it. Or when we worship God in song and praise, that, that God was somehow so needful or insecure that he was waiting for you to praise him. That's not the case at all because he is complete. But he has designed us intelligently, purposefully, to find our joy in his praise. To understand that the God of heaven and earth, who is great and almighty, loves relationship with us. And has designed us in such a way that if we live according to his purpose, we find health and wholeness, and that purpose is to bring him attention and glory and not ourselves. And we go the opposite direction, seeking attention and glory for ourselves and not from God. We live outside of his purposes, and we train wreck, we crash. It's self-destructive behavior that the Bible calls sin. Sin is living outside the purposes of God. It's living for our own glory and not for him. And that lifestyle, that pursuit damages us, it wounds us and other people around us. But when we live in the purposes of God, when we seek that and seek him, the way that he's crafted us is that that kind of life will bring us joy and health and wholeness. And that's how we live for the glory of God. And as a person this new year and as a church this new year, it's our passion as leaders to help us together as brothers and sisters in the Lord God live in that way, in the way that declares the glory of God because that's the way he designed us to live, to live individually and as a church. 
See, God could have, if he desired, he could have created us to become his indentured slaves. That every response we have was robotic and we could have been forced to just live that in that direction. But instead, as you know, you've been given a choice. Your spouse, your kids have been given choices. And sometimes we do stupid things. Sometimes we live in rebellion to the purposes of God and, we, and it creates relational stress and hardship and pain. But again, when we live in alignment to the purposes of God, that's where health and wholeness is and where relational health is. We could have been created to be plants, to be plant life, which sometimes when you think about it might have been easier, right? We, we wouldn't have the relational tensions and struggles that we live with today. We wouldn't, you know, we're just, God would take care of all his needs. We wouldn't have any living rational thought. But instead, God has blessed us with rational, creative choices, his image stamped on us so that we might live a life of purpose and meaning, which is so much better. It's so much better. In Jeremiah chapter 29, 11, a, a passage that many of you love, it, it says that, that God has good plans for us. Let me read that text just to remind those of us who it's been a while since maybe you've read it. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13 says this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now, sometimes we stop in 11, just on the part that says, oh, God has a plan and a future for me, which is great, and that is fantastic news. But Jeremiah continues with the theme of, okay, what is the plan? The plan is for me to turn to him, to have relationship with God that's healthy and right, to seek him with all that I've got. And the great news is when I seek him with all that I've got, he loves to be found. He does not hide himself from me. He wants to be found, right? That's what the text in Jeremiah says, that God's good plan for us is to seek him with all of our hearts, to find him, to find our purpose in a growing relationship with him, and to invite others along in the journey with us. That it's not just about us, but it's about us telling other people about how great the journey of pursuing God is and living according to his purpose and his design. Now, this is where the Christmas story comes in. It didn't end when the Magi left. We know this, right? The story continues. And if you read and study the Gospels, you discover some really fantastic truth. Every one of the Gospels gives us a little different perspective. That's why it's just great to dive into the Gospels and read them all through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because you can see and discover more things about how people discovered who Jesus is and how they followed him. But we're going to begin our story this morning in John chapter 1, in a series we're going to take a while to be with. But John chapter 1 begins to tell a story from a very different perspective. Verses 1 through 14 are these wonderful, rich theological truths about who Jesus was. And 
perhaps this morning it would be great to take some time before the Niner game or whatever you're going to do this afternoon and just remind yourself of this fantastic truth of who Jesus was. And after John sets the table there, then he begins to help us understand, okay, how, do, how does this get fleshed out? How does a person like me with all of my failures and struggles and difficulties come into relationship with Jesus and follow him? And he begins this way to, to spell that out in John 1. I'll start in verse 35, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter. John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. The next day, again, John, this is John the Baptist, by the way, the one who was helping people understand that God had something very unique through Jesus. He was the one who stood and called people to repentance. Repentance specifically in this context was people were following their own direction, their own selfish direction away and apart from God, and he was calling them back to relationship with him with God. He was calling people away from their own rut of feeling like they had to do a whole set of behaviors in order to please God into a living, breathing relationship with God that was different. So this John the Baptist, who is in the middle of that, had a group of people that he was training, he was discipling, he was teaching, and he was modeling a life to follow Jesus, and these were his disciples. So the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by. So Jesus comes, and he's walking by John and his disciples, and John says, look, or behold, the Lamb of God, which was this fantastic title from the Old Testament of whom God would send to save his people, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour or four o'clock. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You're Simon, son of John. You should be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee and found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found him, whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, just a little wonderful twist in Scripture. The way God has laid out the Gospels, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And in Luke's ending of his Gospel, he writes of, after the resurrection of Jesus, two disciples walking along the road to Emmaus. Do you remember that? Some of you remember the story where these They're walking around the road to Emmaus, and they haven't recognized Jesus for who he is. They're just having this conversation, and Jesus starts telling them, starting from the law and Moses, all the way through the prophets of God's plan, and that he was the fulfillment of God's plan, and they were stirred in that. So they're referring, John here in John chapter 1, is referring to that title, which Jesus himself helped the disciples understand later on, but this was going to be happening years later. So that happens here, and... and, um, 
So we have found him of whom Moses and the law of the, also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now, we don't have the information, do we, fully? We don't know exactly what he was doing underneath that fig tree. We don't know why when Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree, all of a sudden something snapped for Nathanael. It's like, whoa, you must be God himself because only God could have pulled that out. Right? Only God could have known what I was doing. But that's what the text tells us, and that's why Nathanael responds. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He's referring, I believe, to the Mount of Transfiguration, but he's also saying to Nathanael in the moment, you're going to see greater things, far greater things, if you come and follow me. So where does this fit? Where does it fit in your life purpose this model of example of people first starting to follow Jesus. And, and why do they follow Jesus? Why do you follow Jesus? I'm, I'm hoping and trusting and praying that it's not because it's the comfortable thing to do or it's because of the cultural thing or what all your family did. Each person starts to really truly follow Jesus for some specific reasons. And the reasons actually are found right here in John Chapter 1, the big picture reasons. First, people follow Jesus because of who he is. I follow Jesus because he is absolutely different than Buddha or Muhammad or any other so-called prophet that's ever come down the road. I follow Jesus because he is absolutely unique. His claims are unique. His life was unique. He demonstrated his uniqueness and who he was through his birth, through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection and ascension. That's why I follow Jesus, because of who he is. There are some titles, if you look in the text here, that were given to him right away that, that helps us understand why they started to follow him. John the Baptist calls him the Lamb of God, which I describe as this Old Testament phrase, an identity that he is absolutely unique. He is the one sent from God to save the world. You also see some other titles used in the text. They initially call him rabbi, don't they? Teacher. A rabbi was one that would gather disciples around him and people would hear his teaching and model their life after him. But this rabbi was unique. Jesus in his teaching role was unique because he was speaking out the very words of God to people for them to learn and model their life after. He's called the Messiah, the, the sent one or the Christ from God who is fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He's called the Son of God, the King of Israel, and the one Moses wrote about in the law. These are titles, identities of who Jesus was that are helping us understand why they followed him, because they saw him for who he was. I follow Jesus. My neighbors, my friends, people I come into contact will follow Jesus when they discover who he actually is, not what culture says he is, 
or what they might have assumed he was, but when they actually get to know him. Seek me, Scripture says, with all your heart, and you'll find me. That's what we want to invite people into. And they respond because Jesus intimately knew them and their futures. He revealed himself as God because he actually knew them deeply. You see that as they immediately respond to Jesus and how the first disciples reacted to him. And how Nathaniel, who comes with his reservations and his doubts about, can anything good come out of where this guy came from, Nazareth, and discovers that Jesus is absolutely unique, that he knew him deeply. This is good news. That from the very beginning of creation, God knew you. That's what Psalm 139, as I began with, says. That he actually knows you thoroughly and completely. And still, despite all your failings or your struggles or your rebellion, despite it all, he loves relationship, invites you into relationship with him. And that's what's so unique about following Jesus as opposed to any other world religion. That God is inviting you into a living, breathing, purposeful, meaningful relationship with himself. And there are, wonderfully, each new day, things to learn and grow in in that relationship with him. Still learning and growing in my relationship with my wife. I hope so, honey. I'm still growing, right? <laughs> and, and each day is good, is better. I talked to a couple right in between services. I referenced this briefly, and they just got engaged. I'm very excited about it. And I mentioned in the first service that um, the very first year of our married life had a lot of adjustments. It was the most challenging year in my life. I see some of you nodding. Whew, that's good. It was the most challenging year in our relationship. I mean, there are other challenges that come along in life that make it difficult. But for the first time, we were all, I was, let me just speak for myself, I had a lot of selfish stuff, and I was having to give it up, you know, and, and having to learn in relationship with her. Now, 25 years later, I can say, praise God, it gets better and better. It does get better. And they were like, really? Is that the first year really going to be hard? <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, don't let, it, don't let it intimidate you. It's good. It's going to be healthy, and God's going to do great work because he's, he's blessed you with this person in your life to help carve you. But it's true. The relationship gets better and richer and deeper, and that's how our relationship with God is designed to be, that it gets better and richer and deeper. But this was the very beginning, you see, in this text of these people starting to follow Jesus, and the Gospels tell the story of the beginning of their relationships with him as, as it deepens and grows with them and for them. But they're connected because Jesus intimately knew them and their futures. And because they started to discover that God wanted to break them out of an old pattern, their pattern, the rut that they were in, was the life that they were pursuing, which for them, those first disciples, had a lot to do with rules and following the expectations that they had of other people that had placed upon them of doing all these things to try to earn the favor of God. And that's not the life you're called to live. That's not God's purpose for you, according to Scripture. 
there is this really wonderful text in Matthew 11 I was reminded of when I was listening. Actually, I had the privilege um, last Sunday of hearing one of the guys who grew up in my youth group and then became one of my interns preaching the word in this church now and um, that he's a pastor in. And it was really wonderful. And he reminded me of this text in Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew 11, um, Jesus is talking about the pursuit of him, the relationship that we have with him and following him. And he says this at the end of Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The life I'm called to as I pursue God is not a life of drudgery and burden and guilt and shame and rules placed upon me. Instead, Jesus gives this really cool illustration. Now, you might not appreciate it because many of us, I would say probably none of us, own yokes or use a yoke in your backyard to do your yard work, right, with a couple oxen. But the picture is this, that there's a yoke. It has two, right, two places where the beast of burden would would take it around their neck and they would push that plow along. And the picture is that I get to be in one of those and the Lord God is in the other one. Jesus is saying, I'm in the other one. And this is my yoke. You get to go beside me and learn how to do this. And surprise of all surprises, I'm a lot stronger than you are. This is easy because he's doing all the work. Like when you were a little kid and you went to work with your dad or doing some task, your dad's doing most of the work. When I go backpacking with my sons when they were younger, um, I would carry the big part of the load, right? They would have like 20 pounds packs and I'm struggling with this 100 pound pack or whatever it was. And they didn't really appreciate that or know that, but I was the one carrying the burden. And that's the picture that the Lord is giving us, that he's the one carrying the burden. That's why it's easy His yoke is designed to be easy, to give rest to you, not to be a burden on you that's overbearing. If you've been living a life, doing your very best to please God by seeking and following all these rules, that's not what you're called to do. That's not your purpose in life. Your purpose in life is to seek God with all of your heart and let him carry the burdens for you and to learn from him, to model, learn from his model of how to do it. So that's the imagery Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 11 about following him. See, this discipleship process, that's the word that we use for following Jesus and learning how to love him and follow him and seek him with all of our hearts. That process is designed to be a joy. Hopefully that was reflected in the way that you sang this morning or the way that you're approaching your life with God right now, that it's about joy. It's not about the drudgery, or the burden of it because it's designed to be good and healthy and right and for him to carry that burden. And you notice also that people follow Jesus in this text, John chapter 1, because they're invited. Did you see that? First, Jesus just happens to walk by these disciples. Nothing just happens in Jesus' life. Everything was purposeful. He walks by these disciples, and John says, look, Look who it is. Do you understand who that is? 
That's the Lamb of God. And these disciples start following him, like tagging along like little kids behind him. And Jesus stops and turns and says, you know, hey, what's up? What are you doing? Where are you going? And they're like, um, okay, we just want to see where you're going. You know, and where, where do you live? You know, he's like, great, come. Jesus approaches his disciples and other of the gospels, and he just simply says, follow me. That's not real complicated, right? I can do that. He says, follow me. I want to invite you. The Lord God inviting people to relationship with himself to follow him. And then, as they start to follow him, they realize, they understand how good that is. And so, what do they do? What does Andrew do? Yeah, he goes and runs and gets his brother. Right? He wants his brother to follow him. And, and what does Philip do? He runs and gets Nathaniel. Even though Nathaniel has his doubts, he says, come on, let's, you've got to come. That's part of the story of what we want to invite you into this year. As we follow the purposes of God, not out of duty, but we seek the Lord and dive into a relationship, a deeper relationship with him, we want to invite you to share the joy of that. And as you do, we know this, that you'll start acting like Andrew and like Philip. You want other people to come along for the ride, to come along for the journey and and enjoy it. You can't wait to have other people understand how good and healthy and right it is to discover their meaning and purpose in life and to follow Jesus. So that's the model we see there. They, They left all their stuff, they start following Jesus, and they start inviting other people. It's, it's this wonderful journey of following Jesus that we call discipleship, becoming his disciples. Now, as a church, we believe there's a process in this. It's a, there are some things we can identify as key elements of that process, and I just want to rehearse them. If, if you've not heard this before, if you will, I'm going to be really brief in this. But the, the first step of our Following Jesus is actually to start following, taking that first step, not letting him just pass by when we hear, hey, here is the Lamb of God, and us saying, yeah, but I've got a football game to watch. But for us to actually say, okay, I'm going to start following him. I'm going to, that doesn't mean if you follow him, you can't watch the Niners this afternoon, by the way. I just want to say that, Paul. Okay. But, but following Jesus is that step that I make, an intentional step to get out of my own rut, my own pursuit of following my own stuff, and to commit to follow him. And that initial commitment is followed up by the next step of commitment. I make this commitment to go out running yesterday. First step was to get out of bed. And then I had to put my clothes on. And then I had to actually get out of, right, the house and start running. I had to start doing that. Think, if you would, for, um, just for an example, to help you understand this. If, if you had the wonderful privilege of getting engaged. And, um, you know, you're very excited about this person that you're going to marry. And the big day comes, and family and friends gather around you. And, you know, the pastor has you say these vows to each other, and you say the vows. And, um, and then you do the recessional. And, you know, people are clapping and cheering. And you're, you're, you go out the door, and then you leave and you go your separate direction. You never see each other again. How stupid would that be? Right? I mean, I really enjoyed my honeymoon. And, um, and I, I have enjoyed the years following. It, it's richer. It's better. And if I would have just left, 
after the wedding, think of all that I would have missed. Think of all that you would have missed if you have enjoyed a relationship like that. But instead, there are some people who start that first step of commitment to Jesus, and then they get cold feet, and they leave, and they do nothing with it. Why would we act like that? Why would we behave that way? We want people to understand that when we commit to Jesus, we keep taking steps to follow him, to seek him, and to pursue him. That's the, the first step of the process that we have, and it affects all of our other commitments in life. And this year, we're really going to focus in on, on that first part of the, the first element we call of discipleship. In our model, we use a model like a, a DNA model that's got these four interconnected pieces that gives life and, and health to us if they're all connected. And that first element is commit or commitment. And, and the second element is renew, that God is about making what was old and dead in me alive in Christ. To, to kind of paint the picture here, Paul does a really great job in, in Romans chapter 6 of this. He does it much better than I could do. So let me just read the words found in Romans chapter 6. starting in verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, that is, we put our old stunk, our stink, yeah, our old junk behind, and we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. We leave the old dead stuff behind. This is what renews us. And we pursue God and find life in him. And he helps us in this process where we become like him. It's the renewal process. That's why we do things like celebrate recovery. We're recovering dead people, becoming new, being renewed and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we talk a lot about a third element, that is for us to grow and be equipped, to to equip. That means that God still has a process in me each day to raise and mature me, to grow me up, so that I might be able to help others grow. We create an environment here in the church that cheers each other on in our faith that inspires each other, that we, we grow in our faith. It doesn't just sit there dead, but we actually grow in it. And we do that with each other. That's why God has blessed us with the body of Christ. Look at the person next to you and in the, the aisles surrounding you. Just take a moment and look, and this is God's gift to you. These people are intended to nurture and to grow your faith through the power of the active Spirit of God here. We are about making sure that we grow, that we equip each other for every good work, 2 Timothy says. And finally, the last element in discipleship we call impact, that we are not growing in our faith for our own self. It doesn't revolve around us. It revolves around God, right? Our purpose is to give God glory, and we do that as we impact the world. These are the, the, the core elements of our faith. In our series that we're diving into now, we're going to talk about just that first one at length. What does, it be, what does it mean to be a person who lives out the purposes of God for us? 
to bring God glory. How does that actually happen for us? And it happens, in short, as we learn to follow God, to seek him with all of our heart, and as we find him, and as we discover that there can actually be living, breathing, life-giving relationship with God, and as we discover how cool it is, we go and invite others into that same journey. That's what we're going to be about in the next several weeks. And I want to say this first before we dive into that journey. If you have never taken a step of relationship with God, if, if that's never been the place where you have ever come to, I want you to hear that there is meaning and purpose for your life, that God has created you for something better than what you're living right now. It's not the pursuit of your own desires, but it's the pursuit of God and his glory. And if you simply turn to him and seek him, he'll be found. If you want that kind of relationship with God to find meaning and purpose in your life this new year, we would love to talk with you right afterwards. Please come and talk to one of us or talk to the person who brought you. That's one of the reasons why they brought you and invited you. Second, if you're a person who has just discovered drudgery in your life with God trying to pursue him, and it's become all about other people's expectations or the burden of following him, listen to the word of the Lord. His burden, his yoke is easy. He loves to carry it for you. This is not about rules and expectations. It's about the pursuit of God and a life-giving relationship with Jesus. And if you've been a person who has been quiet as a mouse, you found life in the Lord, but you haven't yet taken the step to be like Andrew or Philip to invite others, we want to encourage you to learn how to do that, how to invite people with joy and not, you know, not feeling the burden of that or feeling like you've got to be some kind of great evangelist, but just to invite people to follow Jesus with you. Now let me pray for you if I might, please. Father, thank you for um, the journey that we're about to take as individuals and as a church. I pray you'd bring your strong blessing here because we're seeking you. Thank you, Father, for designing us, crafting us with purpose and meaning in life. And I pray for my friends and for myself, Lord, as we dive into that and discover the joy of it, I, I pray it would just spell out that we would naturally invite others to follow you with us. And we pray these things for the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now God's people say. Thank you for listening to audio from Bridges Community Church, located in Fremont, California. For more information about Bridges Community Church, please visit us online at www.bridgescc.org.